Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, hi, and welcome. I am your host, Emma Gunnar-Wardner, and in my nearly 20-year career as a beauty and health writer, I have interviewed a lot of people, supermodels, entrepreneurs, authors, celebrities, and doctors, and many of these conversations had a real impact on me, and I'd come away feeling inspired, excited, informed, and really empowered, and at the back of my mind, I'd always think, I wish I could just publish the tape so people could really feel that conversation. Well, on this podcast, you get to feel the conversation. I talk with experts, guests, and a few friends who I hope will inspire, inform, and empower you, and maybe also challenge you, whether you're looking for self-help, self-improvement, beauty advice, health insights, business know-how, or just some good old-fashioned life advice and a bit of a laugh. It's all here. Welcome to the show. My guest on this episode of The Emma Gunn Show is Dr. Anise Mukherjee, and in this episode, she's sharing her guide to the menopause. Anise is a physician and endocrinologist with a medical career spanning 30 years. She specializes in general medicine and endocrinology and supporting patients with complex medical issues, quality of life and endocrine disease, hormone problems in cancer survivors, including early menopause, and other complex menopause issues, as well as managing chronic fatigue. So her experience in this field is absolutely vast, as you'll hear in this in this episode. She has recently published a book, The Complete Guide to the Menopause, and I absolutely loved her approach, which is one of compassion and such positivity, but also a huge amount of expertise and experience, which, as you know, we love here on The Emma Gunn Show. So... I sometimes feel a little bit fraudulent about talking about the menopause, given that I am not yet going through it, and yet I have had several guests on the show to talk about it. And just because I'm not going through it doesn't mean I can't talk about it, but I have always felt very hyper-aware of my hormones because of the struggle that I had with PCOS as a teenager, so PCOS being polycystic ovarian syndrome, and how severely those disrupted hormones affected my mood, my energy levels, my appearance, my confidence, all of those things. So I've always had one eye on, what are my hormones up to? Um, And as well as that, I've always had a certain amount of apprehension about what might be in store for me as I go through the menopause, given how tumultuous those teen years were. And so that's why I've always been very keen to explore it, find out more about it, because I do think knowledge is power. And I asked Denise to come on the podcast because there is something so hopeful about her experience and her messaging and what she guides her patients through. Now, 
the caricature of menopause previously, definitely one that I had heard and seen, is that um, menopause is something where you almost hit a brick wall as you melt into a series of hot flushes and become a shadow of your former self until you go to the doctor, you get some HRT and then you're kind of back on track as it were. But that's not necessarily the case. That very much is a caricature. And having spoken to Anise and hearing about the toolkit she's created, and she has seen work time and time again with patients and also with her, I think the experience is so much different, so different from that caricature or that stereotype that we might have seen. And I definitely, for having read her book and having a conversation with her, and you'll hear how brilliant and kind she is, I feel so much more empowered about this next phase in my life and much less worried about it, which is great, right? So during our conversation, we discuss managing and understanding your hormones at any stage of your life, because actually kind of being in tune with yourself and what's going on hormonally um, is always going to be helpful, whether you are at the time of going through menopause or whether you are not. So uh, that was a piece of information I hadn't really thought about as much. She talks about it in the context of why it's so important to be uh, prepared and also be aware. She talks about how it's possible to thrive post-menopause and actually feel better after it than you did before, which is something I would like to believe is true. She talks about how hormones and stress and stress hormones can impact weight and how that might look and feel on the individual. How managing diet, sleep, stress and exercise are fundamental elements of her toolkit that can help you navigate hormonal changes with far greater ease. How long COVID and chronic fatigue are things that she is seeing more and more and how they can impact our hormones and how our hormones can impact those things. How the pandemic will have affected all of us most likely, uh, particularly our stress hormones and how that might actually be presenting and the things that we can do to counter that and feel a little bit better. And she also answers some questions from the Facebook group that was submitted before the show. And we also, you will hear this, it's a long episode, and we go into a huge amount of detail. And as you will hear, she is so generous with her time and her expertise. And I'm so delighted to have her on the show. So here she is, Dr. Anise Mukherjee on The Emma Gunn Show. I am so delighted to welcome Dr. Anise Mukherjee onto the podcast. How are you? Really good, thank you. Yes, the sun's shining today, so that always makes me feel better. Well, it's shining and rain was forecast, so I'm doubly excited and uh, I feel like it's a good omen. You are um, such a brilliant resource on the topic of menopause and that's what we're going to be talking about in this episode and it's a, a conversation, it's a topic that I've discussed on this podcast several times and it's always, it's always a conversation that generates huge engagement because of well, I think for several reasons, there's the lack of access to resources, there's a lot of confusion. And you have written a book called The Complete Guide to the Menopause. And I don't think there could have been a better title for this book, because it really is that. And it really does give you everything that you need to know if, and we all know that it's coming, it gives you all the information to navigate that journey. Oh, yes, thank you. Thank you. Well, that, that's a very nice introduction. And um, that was the idea. I didn't choose the title, though. It was my <laughs> publisher who chose the title. I, I wanted a more understated title because I didn't want it to look like I was, you know, trying to, you know, claim anything that, that I couldn't produce. But then then I thought, right, really, it has to be complete, which is why I wrote it the way I wrote it. And it's all about emp- empowering women. And 
it, 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 it's a complete guide to the menopause, but all of the advice and guidance that I give are meant to empower women about hormones throughout adult life, really. And the management, the self-management tools that women can use to help with menopause symptoms will actually help with hormone imbalances at any age. So um, actually the toolkit is really useful and would be helpful for younger women. The problem that I often have is that if I see women in their 30s or 40s, they, you know, they go menopause, oh, I'll cross that bridge when I come to it. And, I, you know, I get that because they're at a busy time in their life. And if they haven't got symptoms at that stage, then you kind of put things off, don't you, with lots of things in life. So if then fast forward a few years, they start to get symptoms, they start to get interested in it. But what can happen for some women is the symptoms can come on quite fast and furiously. And then it can be much more difficult to get back on track. So it's much better to, I use the term prepare and be aware. It's much better to prepare, be aware, make small changes when you're otherwise healthy and well, and then minimize the risks of symptoms really escalating out of control. And there's no guarantees, but we know many things that, that we can do for ourselves make a huge difference to our long-term health. Yeah, because it's not just a case of, oh, I've put up with this for too long, I'm going to go to the doctor and I'm going to go and get HRT. There are lots of different things that you could do, and it doesn't have to be that you hit a brick wall with it. Mm. Oh, I, I absolutely wish women wouldn't get to the stage of hitting a brick wall. And when women do hit a brick wall, we often, like with many conditions, the more advanced or severe the symptoms, the more treatment is needed. It's like with pain. If somebody is in severe pain, they need massive pain relief. Whereas if that pain's managed better, like surgical pain, if you're given pain from early on, it's it, it, it's less problematic. And so, you know, some women will, many women will will use and, and need some HRT. But actually, if you if you get to a point where your symptoms are really severe, even HRT doesn't always help resolve things quickly. So it's, a, it's a, about a range of approaches, and to doing it in good time, really. Mm. Yeah. And I think one of the things that I really appreciated, appreciated about the book is the fact that you actually break down the different sort of hormonal stages that we go through as women anyway. And when you look at it and you think you've got puberty, you've got premenopause, you've got pregnancy, premenopause being the time between puberty and uh, perimenopause, I believe. Correct me if I get anything wrong. But in all of those instances, we are prepared. So with pregnancy, what to expect when you're expecting? There is not a day that is not documented and charted so that if you are on day whatever of your pregnancy, you can find a resource somewhere that'll tell you how you might be feeling. The same with puberty and getting your period, for example. I knew exactly what to expect because I'd read the booklets, I've been told at school, but you just don't have those same, there's a very different approach to the menopause. Absolutely. Uh, it's It's... It's interesting because there's lots of reasons, I think, why. And one of the problems that happened was that about 30 years ago, every woman would, as soon as she had a hot flush or any symptom, would be put on HRT and that helped. Um, life was different then. It's more challenging now, if anything. But th there was a couple of very large studies that were published about 20 years ago that were very negative about HRT. Right. And they suggested that there was an increased risk of breast cancer and an increased risk of blood clots and, and you know, brain uh, clots and strokes and things like that. And overnight, everyone stopped 
taking HRT. GP said, oh, I was giving HRT to my patients and I was harming them. I'm never going to give it again. So it, everybody, nobody got HRT. And, and actually, over the, the decade after those studies were published, it was shown that a lot of the data were misinterpreted in that right. it was it was very much older women who'd been never followed up and left on old fashioned HRTs for years. And they had, some had come to harm. Actually, it was still a relatively small number, but some had come to harm. And so up to about sort of 20, 2015, I would say, was the turning point when the, the NICE guidelines in the UK were published. And all of the experts were saying, uh, we're not using HRT enough. And a lot of women are suffering. And so the government sort of directive on that is we should be giving women all the treatment. We should be giving them lifestyle approaches. We should be giving them HRT when they need it in a timely manner but it's not filtering back to, 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 to GP practices and to women themselves. So lots of women are fearful of HRT. They, they don't want to think about menopause because they think that's that dangerous time and maybe I can't have HRT. And it's there's lots of different reasons why. And it is changing, which is really good. And I think we need two approaches. We need GPs to be better informed about safe preparations of treatment that women can be offered, not just, oh, your mood's low, have an antidepressant, which is not actually what women want. Um, but also women to understand what they're going through. And it's it's it, it can be explained. And, and a lot of people have said about my book that it's an easy read, which mm. I, I feel is a huge compliment, actually, because as an expert, you always worry that you t talk too much jargon. But if, if you can sort of think, oh, Oh, I didn't know. I didn't know that symptom was could be menopause. Maybe I am perimenopausal at forty-five or something like that. You know, it, this can happen. Mm. But if you're if you're forty-five and you think you couldn't possibly be in menopause and you've got all these symptoms, it's frightening. It can be frightening. The symptoms can be really unpleasant. Mm. Um, so if you know knowledge, information is empowering. It just is. That's just the way it is. So I wish, I mean, not everybody likes to read, but for those who like to read, I'd love as many women as possible to get access to my book, really, because it does spell it out. It is an easy read and it is very much, it, as you say, it's not so much jargon. It's just, you feel like you can get lost sometimes if you're reading an expert's book. And I don't feel like there was never a point where I thought I'm going to have to go and read that chapter again, because I don't think I really understood that. And now I'm in way over my head, um, which is great. And the other thing that I think that you do, which is so brilliant, is menopause gets a bad rap because it's that idea of that's when you sort of expire. There's all sort of the negative attachment mm. to it. That's when you stop being fertile. You're no longer a woman, all of that kind of terrible, the, those terrible things that have been sort of attached to it. And actually what you say is we we now probably have more life post-menopause than we've ever had previously. And this is when you can really come into your own. <laughs> this is when you can really thrive. And I love that messaging. Yeah, well, it's true. It's absolutely true. It's, I'm, I'm saying that from the heart. I'm saying that from my own personal experience. I mean, I've got two kids and I've had a busy, challenging working life as a busy, you know, medical specialist in hospitals. And, you know, I have, fortunately for me, although, a, a lot of medical specialties are very male dominated. I've, I've never had any problems with my career progression and things like that, but it's a hard slog. Stage when you're in a senior position, your kids are getting older and you, you can actually have fun with your friends. And, and actually I'm not fertile anymore. I'm actually quite happy about that, to be honest. I'm free from that side of life. No periods, fantastic, you know. So it's 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 brilliant. And that's why if you can keep your health, if you can keep your fitness, 
you will be energized and you can enjoy this amazing you know decades several decades of future life doing all the things you want to do it's liberating and, and I feel for younger women today who are starting out in their you know hormone phase of phases of life and I've got a teenage daughter and it, it's I, you know I think it's really really tough for younger women and and I'd like to help younger women as much as I'd like to help women going into menopause go you know going heading into that phase because I think so much more can be done across the board with women's health actually um mm. to make things better for everybody but yeah definitely M the, the midlife and beyond is definitely something to relish for younger women i think oh, you know all the hassle that you have when you're younger you can get rid of that and enjoy your life which is good so let's talk about i mean obviously we've got the book and we know that that's a great resource but let's talk about because you touched on it then the lifestyle changes because i think one of the things Obviously, there is medical intervention, and that's what your career is as well. But let's talk about the things that somebody listening to this can do to help themselves in preparation, but also during. So if someone's listening to this and say they are experiencing what they believe to be uh, perimenopausal symptoms, or they think perimenopause slash the menopause is on the horizon, what would be your, um, what would be the advice that you would give them for things that they could make? change why changes that they could make in their lifestyle yeah so the changes you can make will help with pretty much whatever the symptoms are so whether it be insomnia fatigue or night sweats small changes can make a very big difference it's not a magic one silver bullet you don't make a change one day and then the next day you feel better but it's about implementing a range of changes so it also we are all completely different so I can't say every woman needs to go and run a marathon tomorrow you know because I can't run a marathon I'm not going to run a marathon I love exercise but that's not going to be my gig so it depends where you are so you start where you are and you make small steps and that is first of all and foremost the most important thing because if you try and do too much it's a bit like a crash diet you do your crash diet, you lose loads of weight for whatever it is that you wanted to lose the weight for. You then stop the diet and you put all the weight back on plus more. So I never recommend that. So it's making small changes. And sorry, it's a long answer, but I think it's important because we're all so different. In our modern world, we're all under more stress than 30 years ago, men and women, all ages. We Our diets are not as good, even though we think often when we think we're eating healthily there are things in our diet that are marketed to look healthy that aren't mm. um it's easy to overeat when you're stressed you crave carbs that's an instinct it is an involuntary instinct so you will eat more slightly more than you need if you're very stressed and so you'll gain weight and many people are carrying excess weight you know in our modern society so all these things make a difference and we're all sedentary we're all sitting on phones on devices sitting at desks so we're not moving so all those things you can make small changes from where you are to move to improve your health so if you're sitting at a desk all day lots of my patients will say Oh, but I'm so busy and I have to work all day and I'm, you know, I haven't got time to go and get fresh air. Actually, if you go out and get 10 minutes fresh air at lunchtime, instead of 10 minutes looking at social media at lunchtime, that's really, really good. It's good for your body clock. It's good for stress. It's, it's burning a few extra calories. Um, you know, it'll, it'll help with aches and pains, a small amount of exercise. Now, 
that's if somebody's not doing any you know you start off with a small amount and you build up if you're already doing quite a lot of exercise you build up on that wherever you are so you start where you are and you build up but that but working we, we flog ourselves to in today's society and having that break at lunchtime you get a sort of an adrenal burst of, of cortisol and, and stress hormones when you do the exercise and then endorphins and basically that walk or that outdoor fresh air exercise will boost your productivity in the afternoon so we all think we should just work 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 work. but actually if you have a break you you will boost your productivity and a lot of the multinational organizations have programs of well-being for their workforces not because they're just nice but because they know it improves their productivity of their workforce it boosts well-being so small changes like going out and getting some fresh air if you're it, that also helps with stress and if you're less stressed, you won't crave the carbs. Mm. And if you're not craving the carbs, it's easier to control what you're eating or just be a bit mindful to reduce what you're eating. If you're stressed, you'll go and just eat that bit more or you'll crave something sugary, which unfortunately, as we get older, particularly women, our metabolism, which is the rate at which we burn calories, is slower. So if you eat anything that's sugary or carbohydrate, you know, pure carbs, uh, refined carbs, it will just go straight into the fat stores. So everything's interconnected if you know what I mean and and actually the the other thing that's instinctive is when we're feeling a bit jaded your perimenopause you might be a bit achy maybe not sleeping so well and you feel tired the last thing you want to do is to to go out for a walk mm. but again it's a bit like the agency if you know if you know actually if I go out for my walk actually it's not going to make me feel more tired it's going to energize me and then if you do and they've done research studies looking at this sorry that's supposed to be on silent um uh, they've done research studies looking at this people being told how do you feel before you go for your walk how do you, and how do you think you'll feel after you've done a 30 minute brisk walk and then they fill in how they actually feel and they all they never think they're going to feel any better after a walk but you always feel better after a walk if if, right. if you know unless you've got you know i don't know anemia or a broken leg or something yeah that's different so so what you need to do is sometimes counterintuitive so it, you know if you're feeling jaded you need to think actually fresh air and a bit of exercise movement is what I need and, and that will help with stress um healthy nutrition is important and I could talk about that for hours each of these things I could talk about for a long time and sleep hygiene sleep routines are very very important for heading into the menopause because sleep can become very fragmented in menopause so if you have a sleep routine and try and get rid of your phone devices or, or any electronic devices with blue light for as long before you go to bed as possible. I mean, I say an hour, but, you know, the longer, the better, because blue light delays melatonin release. So it, it disrupts your sleep for the first few hours. It de delays melatonin release by three hours. So if you're on your phone late at night, you will struggle to get quality sleep for that three hours and it's also the, the stimulating content that you're looking at it may be stimulating and then your cortisol level goes up and actually to sleep well your cortisol level should be z virtually zero at bed at, at your at your night time so unfortunately the devices will be shining blue light at you and in you know stimulating content and it disrupts your sleep so making small and it, it's small changes because if you if you're used to spending three hours before you go to bed on your device you're not going to be able to cut out cold turkey but just being and trying to cut out for a little bit of time before you actually go to sleep so there's so many different things that you can do 
one single thing alone, just going out for the walk at lunchtime probably won't transform all your symptoms. But, you know, being mindful about your eating and your stress, doing a little bit more movement, looking at your sleep patterns and your sleep quality and habits, all of these things can make a really big difference. I mean, I'm a huge advocate of exercise, and I know you are as well. And I, I really think that it's a great time in adult life, heading towards the menopause at any age, it's a great time to get really fit. Because if you want, if you don't do any exercise your whole life, and then you suddenly start at 50 or 55, there's more risk of getting injured. Whereas if you're fit beforehand, you're going to get less risk of injuries, because that's always a, a problem. I want all women to build up their exercise. But we're all so many women have unrelenting standards and they want to do as much as they possibly can. And then they end up overdoing it and getting injured. So that that's that's a risk. So I, I've not answered that very quickly, but <laughs> I've answered I've answered that, you know, you see that it's a narrative. It just is. You can't just do one thing. There's lots of things to do. I, I am very happy when a guest just gives me everything. <laughs> I ask a question. So please don't be and please don't worry about that. Um, this is it's so interesting because actually one of the trends I've noticed whenever I uh, create a podcast about the menopause is um, a desire for what are the supplements I should be taking? or what are the drugs I should be asking for when I eventually eventually do get in front of a, a GP or a hormone specialist and what I think is really interesting about the, the approach and again we've talked about it before but the agency of actually you have access to a lot of the medicine already it's just making these choices but I think we can also navigate a really large portion of our lives without having to be too connected to our bodies because they and by connected to our bodies I mean listening to them because they just function really well. Uh, they, they serve us fine. Even if we miss the odd night's sleep, they'll do okay. Uh, is, there, is there actually a, a process or a way that you would uh, just uh, describe or teach people or coach people to, to connect to their bodies and really listen to what's going on so that they can be slightly more aware for when these changes begin to occur? Well, the thing about using lifestyle medicine is that, you know, it's brilliant at every stage but as you say when you're younger people just don't because you don't have to you can get away without doing it so te my te my, well I've got an older son but my teenage daughter you know they don't want to hear anything about what I've got to say about lifestyle they just don't and and I get that I get that they you know they've got other priorities but it's a bit like I'll give you an analogy somebody who has diabetes has to be really careful with the types of food they eat to stop their blood sugar from rising. So that means that they're encouraged to have what we call low glycemic index food, which is low refined sugar, low fat, because that can worsen heart disease, um, and to have lots of fruit and vegetables and, and healthy foods, and to try and keep their weight managed well, and to try and do exercise. So people with diabetes, you know, really need to do all those things to protect their health. But all of the things that, that, that that's going to do for people with diabetes will also benefit every one of us in society, whether you've got diabetes or not. And the thing about all those lifestyle approaches is that they will help and they'll help some younger people as well, because I see a lot of younger people run into problems with chronic fatigue. Um, there's a lot of people, I'm afraid, who are getting long COVID. And I've got a huge experience of post-viral fatigue in my clinical work and chronic fatigue. And long COVID is 
peaking in ages 20 to 40 years. It's extreme fatigue and other prolonged symptoms after having COVID-19. And that those, the people who are going to be getting that are the people who are not looking after their body. I mean, and I don't mean that in a bad way, because to be honest, it's probably most people, because we just don't, because we don't have to. And also, our healthcare system is not set up in a way to facilitate us to be proactive about our health. It's all very reactive. You know, it, 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 you, know you, you, you get some illness and we treat it, but, but, but we're not sort of saying, look, I mean, there are programs where they say do more exercise but it's not it's not working it's not getting through so we need to improve that I do apologize oh gosh it, it's so younger people might not think that they're going to benefit from improving their lifestyle but they will and and it is going to help them throughout their life and it will help them later on as well but um i think it, it, it's 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 about I see lots of younger people who come with health issues and once they a health issue happens it's a bit like menopause once you get the health issue you go oh oh, oh I get it now I get it yeah. but if but if you're just floating along and you're missing the odd night's sleep and not eating properly and gaining a bit of weight but you're fine you just kind of you wait you just think I'll, I'll cross any problems when I, I you know I come to them so I, I'm, I'm not sure I've got all the answers as to how to get everyone engaged in their health but I actually do think you know the things that you're doing and that other people are doing in terms of um, social media awareness is hugely important and it is changing but it's a slow change because we've got a sort of a culture of reactive healthcare, and I think culture changes very slowly. Yeah. And there is another message as well in the book that I really appreciated reading, which is where you said menopause is not your fault. And for me, that really ties into this idea of women hitting a brick wall with it before they ask for help they, and beating themselves up and thinking that something is wrong with them. But even though we are talking about lifestyle changes, like this is a natural process. It's not your fault that it's happening. No, and the environment I feel, I've, I've worked in this for about 30 years, and our environment is, is often, because of stress and other things, is making menopause symptoms worse. And the other thing, it's absolutely nobody's fault, but also we all experience it differently. So sometimes I'll see a female patient and they'll say, you know, I had really severe symptoms and I went to my female GP which makes me really cross actually but I went to my female GP and she said I just had to get on with it and that her menopause was really easy and therefore you know I just had to get on with it and it's so wrong because I see women who have relatively unhealthy lifestyles and maybe it's a, a factor of genes or something and they don't have any problems with menopause and I see some women who have got amazingly healthy lifestyles and then they get the worst hot flushes or something else that you know anyone's ever had and you know treatments don't work so it's 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 absolutely not your fault how you experience your symptoms is not your fault and actually you know you should be able to access treatment and there are you know there's always treatment that's going to help but many women require a range of treatments and as i said hrt can be really helpful with many symptoms but not not as a standalone because it's not a substitute for looking after your integrated health in your body as well so let's actually talk about the symptoms because i think that can be again we talk about hitting a brick wall there could be so many things affecting you what I mean, what are the symptoms to look out for? So the symptoms commonly start from from women in their 
mid 40s, but it can be younger. And the symptoms are, are very individual. The commonest are hot flushes and sweats. That's, you know, the odd night sweat, um, the odd flush at work in the day, or, you know, when you feel a bit stressed, you think, is this normal? Or, you know, is, is, am I just stressed? That's really, really common. And, and that might come and go a little bit at the beginning, because in perimenopause, in the early phase, your hormones are sort of up and down. So it's not, it's, it isn't you when you hit the brick wall you probably had symptoms for a while that you haven't attributed to mm. the menopause so um another really common one is insomnia and difficulty with sleep waking up at 4am or not being able to get to sleep or recurrent wakening um, and that is more common in people who naturally are not good sleepers but it can happen in women who've never had a sleep problem and then another one is feeling more anxious um, palpitations. Some, a lot of women say, you know, I've never been anxious and I've developed palpitations at night, fast heartbeats um, and, and perhaps anxiety at work, which is a problem, actually, because it can impact on the workplace and work progression. If, you've, mm. if you're not feeling confident and you're, you know, up against a man who hasn't got those symptoms, who's not anxious, uh, you know, career progression seems to slow down in women in midlife um and so the leadership of our country is very male dominated which i again i want to change that by empowering women and making sure that doesn't happen um, because you know small changes in the workplace can help with that um, but anxiety and then low mood which um is not hugely common a lot of women can feel a little bit moody and and irritable but some women will have never had any mood problems and will get really low mood um, when they head towards the menopause. And it may well be a mixture of factors. It's With these things, it's usually a mixture of factors because um, major life events will ma make that worse. Stress will make um, the likelihood of uh, low mood worse. There's lots of different other factors, um, but that can happen. So there's lots of high profile people who will say, you know, I was fine. And then suddenly I hit a brick wall when I was you know, 45 and they said it was depression. And now in retrospect, right. it was perimenopause hitting me or, or menopause hitting me. So, and, and I think sometimes if you can understand why something's happening, it's, it's, it's easy to cope with and it's easier to find solutions. Whereas if you just hit depression or severe fatigue or suddenly pain, and you don't know why, um, it's much harder <laughs> to, to navigate it and, and, and actually take control. So to be honest, the symptoms, I've talked about some common ones, but there are loads. Women mm. get, you know, restless legs. Some women, a, a rare one, which I do mention in the book, but quite a lot of women say it feels like insects crawling over your skin, itching, you know, itchy skin and changes in your skin, changes down below. Lot, there's so many different symptoms, really. Um, and what I say is if, if a woman in her mid 40s gets a set of new symptoms, which are a bit unusual, then they're perimenopause until proven otherwise. Because right. if if a doc if you see a doctor, one thing that doctors are really good at is identifying what we call red flag features, which is, oh, you're, you're anemic, or you've got there's something wrong with your liver that that must be causing the symptoms, or you've got a thyroid problem which is causing you to sweat, something like that. We're really good at picking up other causes. So what's happening at the moment is women get symptoms, they go to their GP, and the GP just says there's nothing wrong with you, <laughs> which is not helpful. But what the GP means is, you know, you haven't got any severe disease that needs treating now, but 
what they should be doing is well, it's probably perimenopause. Here's some information. That's mm. what it's very simple. What that that could help so many women. Many women say to me, I just I haven't been given any information. Most women who come see me, and I'm a specialist, they say you're the it's the first time anyone's explained this to me, and it's enlightening. Now I get it all, I understand, and now I can take control. And I've done that for years, and that's why I wrote the book, because why why is that happening? I'm not doing anything that's really clever, actually. You know, it's not, it's, it's, you know, other doctors could do this on a wider scale, but it's not being done. And there's a lot of women suffering because of that. So, but we also need to get younger women, you know, you know, in control like you before, before symptoms start. Definitely. Well, I was saying to you before we started recording that I had such tumultuous puberty teen years because of yeah. hormone problems so I've, I'm I feel somewhat hyper aware of hormones generally and the fact that they can make you feel like you're not yourself at all and it can be really I mean that happened to me in my teens but I don't really want it to happen again in my 40s so I'm sort of hyper aware and hyper vigilant but I think when I read the book it just became clear well actually we all should be we all should be we just know what we're in store for it's not like you're going to it's not like you're going to escape it it is going to happen it is an inevitable part of female development that you will go through the menopause but it doesn't mean and what I find so uplifting and, and really positive about the book is it doesn't mean that life has to change for the worse in some way actually it could all change for the better you could feel better than you ever have yeah definitely and yeah and and so the the many problems that teenagers and younger women when we talk about pre-menopause you mentioned the term it's women in their fertile years that's what we mean so you're when you're from from starting your periods through to when your periods stop pretty much it's your fertile years and um there's lots of hormone imbalances that occur in those years um polycystic ovarian syndrome premenstrual syndrome pmdd which is a more severe mood related uh, hormone disorder um, and many women suffer from those symptoms more women I think today seem to experience the symptoms severely than they did when I first started 20 odd as well no 30 years ago um, but it's changed in, in, in those decades and we're not treating these things very well because we call them imbalances they're not disease they're not a disease it's not like a, a thyroid problem that you need to be you know you need to go on your medication and that's it it's 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 more of an imbalance but with hormone imbalances sometimes treatments are needed a bit like with menopause and hrt but also other approaches that you can do for yourself um lifestyle approaches can make a huge difference to hormone imbalances the biggest the biggest enemy really and we need it it's life-saving but cortisol is 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 a big problem the imbalance of cortisol in our modern world with stress because cortisol messes up the production of other hormones and that can make other hormone imbalances more problematic so um and the best way to manage stress is through lifestyle through stress relief through exercise nutrition so in other words in a society where we're all racked with anxiety especially now during a pandemic and therefore that means that we're probably we have cortisol causing through our bodies at various points during the day we are likely to experience a, perhaps a, a more turbulent hormonal balance as a result 100 percent. and there's two very very clear um things that have happened in the pandemic that evidence that 
sleep is as good as it was before the pandemic. Everybody's complaining of, of more uh, disrupted sleep and poorer quality sleep. And there's lots of studies showing that. And so the second thing is weight gain. Pause, you pause there for one second. Oh, please. sorry. No, no, that's fine. So you just said, uh, just in case people missed it, because sometimes uh, these things record it, sometimes they don't. You said our sleep has been disrupted. Goodness me. <laughs> our speech has been disrupted. Our sleep has been disrupted by the pandemic, in the pandemic. The, 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 our sleep, on, on a very wide scale, many people are complaining of sleep disruption, insomnia, poor sleep quality, feeling unrefreshed when they wake up. That's very much linked with disrupted cortisol. Um, and that's been shown in lots of studies uh, over through the pandemic. And then the second thing is um, weight gain. So many people have said, a lot of people are calling it the COVID stone, where everybody's put a stone on in weight and how, what am I going to do when unlockdown, you know, unlockdown happens? Because weight gain, if your cortisol is high, your, 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 your stress response tells you you need to eat because this is an instinct from our ancestors and our ancestors survived famine. That's why mm. we're here, because all our ancestors survived famine. So when our bodies sense stress, that stress tells us our limbic system is telling our, our you know our metabolism and our bodies you need to you need to take in some calories because starvation could be coming so we will all tend to eat slightly more even if we're trying not to mm. if we're stressed so the, the 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 cortisol disruption in the pandemic from stress from chronic stress has, has clearly caused you know contributed to the insomnia and the weight gain that's happened to lots of people not everybody, but I would say a, a significant proportion of, you know, most of the world, I would say, certainly the Western world. Yeah. yeah. And there's a there's a brilliant section. I love the fact that you call the section in the book taking back control. Yes. To give to yes. give the reader agency to say, actually, this will happen to you, but you have an element of control in how it happens to you. Mm. And, and, you know, it, it is in our control. And I, I mean, I shared my own experience in the book as well, as you know, in that I was incredibly lucky that I actually went through menopause knowing about it and knowing all of this already. I, I knew it all. I, I, knew, I thought, right, it's fine because I can just make sure that I manage my stress, that I have downtime, that I do my exercise, but I don't go overboard and get injured. I, you know, I'll have to be a little bit careful with my metabolism and what I eat and try and eat healthily. And I'm not perfect. I mean, none of us are perfect, but, you know, it's about, you know, trying to do your best in lots of different areas. And to be honest, it was it was a very liberating experience for me because I thought, yeah, it's great. I know what's happening. I, I can deal with this. This is all going fine. And 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 it's good. And I know that every woman can achieve that. Some women may need more support than others, but if she gets the support, she'll she'll be in the same position to take back control and, and achieve an amazing next phase of life really that's got so much to offer you've just mentioned it there but would you mind sharing your menopause journey because obviously yours yours happened at the age of 41 well, it did uh, it did yeah 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 so um so I was a an endocrinologist at the time and I dealt for years just to give you a background um managing early menopause in women who'd gone through cancer treatment various cancers including breast cancer and you know I I, I was pretty healthy and I, I didn't think anything like that would ever happen to me but at 41 I was diagnosed with breast cancer and um, I was didn't just have one I had two actually which was even more surprising I was thinking 
but why? I don't know. I mean, I, I, I guess I'll never know. And some things you just have to accept because I don't have a family history. Um, the only thing I can say is I, I took the pill for a lot of years and I am teeny tiny. So maybe my small size had an impact. I don't know. But I had two breast cancers. So um, I was given treatment because I was so young and obviously was full of estrogen because actually you have more estrogen in your late 30s, early 40s than, than lots of times in your adult life. So I was full of estrogen. So we decided that the best treatment for my cancers, which were estrogen receptor positive, was to block estrogen. So I went into a very abrupt chemical menopause, which um, just got rid of all my estrogen totally overnight. And to be honest, it was a very interesting experience because for the first time I was understanding firsthand what all my patients had gone through. And I, I think as a doctor, it really, it helps with your clinical skills to be on the other side, to have been on the other side, to understand what women are going through, to understand the, the cancer diagnosis journey as well, because it, it's, it's, it's a tough journey. And, and, and many women survive breast cancer today, thank goodness, but it's not a journey I would really want anyone to go through. You know, if I could prevent it, I would love it. no woman to have to go through it. But anyway, I was, you know, I, I was fine. I was absolutely fine. You go through that initial treatment. And then when you know what you're dealing with, it's, it's, you deal with it. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. It. And it's a bit like with menopause, menopause in any situation, if you know what you can do, you do it. Um, but I was I couldn't take HRT. So I was very estrogen deficient, but it was very interesting. I did get hot sweats and flushes. Um, and most of them actually would when I was still off work, because I stayed off work for four months and then I went back to work. And when I went back to work, I do remember being in clinic with with patients. And initially I didn't I didn't want to share with patients my experience because it's it's as doctors we're a bit funny we're like we don't want them to have to be burdened with our knowledge and I wasn't even going to talk about my experience in my book but my publisher said well but it would we think women would really want to hear it so so I did and and so now I know lots of people find it helpful to, to hear the story so um I went back to work and I would be in clinic talking to women and they'd be going oh I'm having all these sweats and they'd be sweating and I would be sweating at the same time. And what, what was just, it was really interesting is that they didn't notice that I was sweating. And, and so you, what you notice 
yourself other people don't notice as much we, we, we are very self-critical we notice what's going and that makes the experience worse if you think everyone's looking at you mm. so that was an interesting one but yeah so I, I went through through that treatment and I got some symptoms but I, I focused on all the things I could do for myself I used lots of sort of everyday mindfulness techniques we've not touched on on mindfulness um, but you know physical stress and physical illness is benefited by mindfulness type approaches so um i you know try to have downtime but my my favorite thing is is exercise and outdoors just getting fresh air outside and doing a workout i've got i you know I, i've been doing zoom classes all the way through lockdown with an amazing uh, trainer and um I, I watched, I listened to your podcast about your equipment, <laughs> which I thought was really good, really oh, excellent, all the equipment. And, you know, you. I've got some of that and we use bands. We use the resistance bands, which are, which are like murder <laughs> in some of I our love classes. Them. But, yeah. So that is, you know, that for me, that's my absolute top tool for my long-term health because it, it, it also, I can be busy. do long clinics on zoom and then you know your stress levels go up even if you're loving what you're doing your stress will be higher and and the exercise and, and then getting some fresh air helps with that so yeah so i i've used my toolkit i i am a an example of my toolkit in my book <laughs> yeah. without I, I wasn't able to take hrt and i prescribe hrt to many women and i want to make sure that they're given it safely and so i think probably i'm one of the best people to prescribe it because i always i'm obsessional about making sure everything's safe because I've noticed definitely uh, when I've I've sort of taken a little bit of a secret snoop in various forums about menopause that there's almost this uh, dialogue around my GP won't give me HRT and if I get get HRT everything's going to be fine. But it isn't. It, it is a little bit like papering over the cracks, isn't it? You have to take a more holistic approach and look at lots of different aspects of your life. It's not just about a magic pill. Absolutely, absolutely, and. Um, I see again, um, and over many years, women will say, I, I really need HRT. And I go, right, okay, well, let me just talk about all the things you need to do. Because I will insist on, I say, you know, I'm not apologizing because I know what's going to help you. And then we, I, and I will prescribe HRT safely. But m many women don't tolerate it. it it's, it's interesting. I think, oh, I think you'll, you know, if you're really struggling, we'll do this, this and this and try HRT. And some women, you know, some women say, HRT helps with weight management. Some women say it makes them gain weight. Some women say that it gives them migraines. It can cause heavy bleeding. So it's not a it's not a panacea for everybody, but it does help many women. And particularly if you've got challenging life, at certain times in your life, it can be really helpful. But not as a standalone. Yeah. Is this is going to sound like a really stupid question now? But is HRT one prescription? So if I go to you and I say please may I have HRT? And then my friend went in and said, please may I have HRT. Would we get the same script? Or is it a bit like, for example, when I was, uh, when I was put on the pill for PCOS, I was put on a particular type, but my friend would get a different type because I, I needed one that I had Dianet in the early days because oh, of right. acne and what have you. Whereas then I went on to various other things, but there were lots of different pills and everyone would discuss which one they liked. Is HRT the same? I've just never heard different names attached to. Yeah, there's absolutely loads. Right. There's loads of different preparations. The older style preparations of HRT were made from 
pregnant horse's urine. So not very natural. And then over the years, um, the more natural sort of identical to what your body produces hormones have been developed and they're much safer and they have less side effects so there's actually loads of different combinations but the safest combinations are actually estrogen in the form of um, either skin gel patch or spray so you put it on your skin so that actually reduces the risk of blood clots which tablet estrogen can you know in the pill you can mm -hmm. there's an increased risk of blood clots um and it's very safe and it's usually very effective at all the things that it needs to do. So um, symptoms, bone protection, cardiovascular protection. Um, and then you need to have progesterone if you've got a uterus. So unless you've had a hysterectomy, you need estrogen and progesterone as the sort of basic HRT. But again, there's different forms of progesterone and you can get mixtures of natural estrogen and synthetic progesterone in patches so there's there's and tablets and there's lots of different preparations and depending on where you are in your menopause journey if you're very perimenopausal and still having periods because you can have menopause symptoms and still be having a regular period you'll need a different preparation or balance of, of hormones than you'll need if you've period stopped a year or two ago and you're going on treatment then. Um, and then obviously some women have testosterone added as well for um, energy, for, you know, for your mojo and for your sex drive. Some women add, add testosterone. So there's loads of different preparations. And actually I take a history and I work out what's going to be best for that individual woman so, and it will be different. But I think when you say, if you go to your GPs, it's just going to be the same prescription. I think with the GPs, the commonest prescription that is given to women in menopause is an antidepressant. And then it may well be a synthetic form of HRT, which, you know, is the risks of HRT in women sort of under 55 are very low anyway, as long as that risk's been assessed by the doctor. But um, the synthetic forms will more likely cause things like weight gain, breast discomfort and... Right other side effects even skin changes so so it no it does it does matter and sometimes I will start a treatment plan that I think is going to help and then we have to tweak it we have to change or adjust the preparation sometimes you can't get the estrogen level right and you need to change treatments so it does require tweaking it does require a bit of support it's it should be something a GP could do um you know I do it a lot and there's lots of there are lots of doctors out there now and gynecologists and GPs who are doing a brilliant job of helping women who are suffering but I do feel like it is this whole you know I describe it a little bit I, it's probably not a very good analogy but um it's a bit like closing the stable door when the horse has bolted <laughs> you know you wait until everything's gone horribly wrong and then you're trying to trying to fix it and it's really we should have been doing sorting things out before so that the everything was sorted out and yeah so it goes again to to look after hormone health you know all the way through and 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 for men as well you know we talk I talk about women and I see a lot of women but I do see men who suffer from stress and stress impacts on testosterone and causes fatigue and affects um, physical uh, strength and can cause weight gain. So it affects all of us. So even in younger people who might think I'm getting away with, with my bad lifestyle, but they might be putting the pounds on, they might be feeling more tired, their sleep might be more fragmented. So I think all of us need to take ownership of yeah. our hormones. It's not a case of, oh, I'm getting older. So this, these things are going to happen to me. It's, it's a case of, to an extent, but they don't have to 
govern you? But I feel better now than I felt when I was younger. I, I feel, I, I mean, I was just always busy and stressed and I didn't particularly, I mean, I ate okay. I didn't, couldn't do as much sort of enjoyable exercise because I did such long hours as a junior doctor. So it was just work and busy. And then, you know, so now I, I actually, I work really long hours actually, but I prioritize my exercise to make me feel good. And I prioritize my sleep routine when I can and you know so I try, I try and, and, and nutrition and happy times times with friends obviously that's all on zoom now or a lot of walk with a friend but prioritizing you know time to to be really downtime to enjoy and I think I, I I've got that balance much better now than I had 10 or 20 years ago so I, I you say to an extent you're getting older and so maybe but I, I actually think it's better I think it's it's mm. better yeah. yeah. And you said as well there about the the hormone replacement therapy sort of cocktails to you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And you said, you know, that one supports bone health and this one supports cardiovascular health. But to talk about having agency, I mean, those are the things that you can have an impact on with lifestyle choices like exercising. And I said to Anise before we started recording listeners, I said, well, I make sure I lift weights, maybe not too heavy, but heavy, heavy ish. Uh, three times a week because I feel like that's going to stand me in good stead because I know that's really good for my bone health and as you know I I talk in my book about the fact that if if exercise was a pill it would be a best-selling you know the pharmaceutical company producing that pill would be you know at the top of the list because it's it's got no downside at all no side effects it's just got only benefits um and it's about our modern worlds that stop us from doing that really we're, we're not doing movement because we're sitting at desks and yeah so exercise and, and it does exercise it helps your bone health it helps your cardiovascular health everything lo- reduces the risk of all long-term long-term conditions you know it, regular exercise so you have to do a minimum of 30 minutes walking every day for at least five days a week but it's proven to reduce long-term risk of you know, cardiovascular disease, um, stroke, depression, it reduces the risk of mental health issues longer term, cancer, several cancer diagnoses, diabetes, high blood pressure, you know, all of these conditions, which we end up having to treat. And again, it's a reactive, not proactive, we end up having to treat them. But if we actually looked after our health, we wouldn't end up needing the the treatment a lot of the time not all of the time and there are other factors so if you do end up with high blood pressure and you've done everything right it's not your fault but you'll pro- it probably won't be as bad as it could have been if you hadn't looked after yourself let's talk about another area actually of how people might treat things because it's all very well for us to, to talk about the gym kit that we have in our homes and the exercise that we do but I know if I've ever gone through a period of stress or maybe if I've ever I don't know felt uh, I felt, oh, I think I need something. My first port of call is oh, maybe a supplement. And I feel as though the supplement industry does very well out of menopausal women and perimenopausal women. Are there actually uh, supplements that can be of assistance in this instance? Yeah, definitely. And I think the best area that supplements help with in terms of menopause symptoms um, that, that I really see benefits from. I didn't mention this as a symptom, but brain fog is a common symptom of menopause, but it's a common mm. symptom in stress as well. And obviously yeah. women in menopause are often under, have challenging lives. So brain fog and fatigue 
are two symptoms which if you're a bit low on B vitamins, on zinc, selenium, iron, iodine, there's several different essential micronutrients that if you're deficient in those, they might just add to your burden of symptoms of fatigue and, and just, just feeling not really focused. And some of those will also, if you're deficient and vitamin D, if you're deficient, your immune system might not work quite as well. The data on, on vitamin D, for example, and zinc are quite clear. They, they mm. support a healthy functioning immune system and vitamin C. But we can, again, we just don't think about that. I mean, and vaccines are very important, but actually regarding infections, you're less likely to get an infection like a cold or a cough if your immune system is in a good place or it'll last, it'll last a shorter time. And in menopause, if you get the flu and you're wiped out for three weeks, that's horrible. You know, if, you, if that happens two or three times a year, that's horrible. So if you can minimize getting coughs, colds, flu by supporting your immune system, that helps. It will help with your energy. It will help with your um, well-being. It might, it should help with brain fog as well. And because of stress in our modern lives, I actually see a lot of people who have borderline low folate, borderline low B12. And then they might not be so deficient that they're going to drop down dead from that deficiency, but that deficiency may be just contributing, you know, to some of those symptoms and, and treating it can improve that. The, the big question is what supplement to take. And you know, I'm not a nutritionalist and there are there are loads and loads of supplements out there. And I think, you know, if you're vegan, if you're gluten free, dairy free, I think there's there's very good vegan, gluten free, dairy free supplements that you can take. And um, what I don't like to recommend is for you to take 25 different essential micronutrients as separate tablets, because you've got a filler with chemicals in every single tablet. So you just won't absorb that many. Whereas it's actually quite easy and you'll see that it's easy for all of the companies to make a multivitamin with minerals and what they call an A to Z. Mm -hmm. And that will have 20, 25 essential micronutrients in. And again, they're marketed for women's health or men's health or menopause. Um, and the only difference is that they'll have like, you know, more B vitamins if it's for women's health or something like that. Um, but really, if you can get one, if you've got a healthy diet and you can get a complete A to Z supplement of your choice that has those 25 essential micronutrients in them, that will, I think for most people, they will, it will help stave off maybe the odd cough cold. It will make them feel a little bit more energized and help with, with brain fog symptoms. Those supplements are not going to help with hot flushes. They're not going to help necessarily with mood, but they'll help with just energy. And that can just help with your well-being anyway. Um, there are other supplements and um, the sort of the omega-3 oils are really, really good for cardiovascular health and may well help with mental health and mood. So um, many people can choose to take those. There is evidence for these things. I, I, I spend my time half my time trying to persuade people to take supplements because they say, oh, well, I, I took them for a while and I couldn't be bothered. And then I spend the other half of my time saying, you don't need 57 different supplements every day. Can you just like, reduce it a bit? So it's about a happy medium. And for me, the, 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 the absolute gold standard minimum would be an A to Z supplement, omega-3 fish oil or equivalent and extra vitamin D because we need more vitamin D than is in any 
A to Z supplement. And vitamin D for menopause is more important because of bone health, but it's also really important for immune function as well. So those are the three sort of absolute minimum. And then there's lots of others that you can take natural supplements to help with menopause symptoms, which are less based on any evidence, but some women gain benefit like sage or St. John's wort or, you know, lots of other red clover. There's, there's, there's several, I mean, I, you know, it could go on, um, but th they won't work for everybody. You have to choose what you want to take. Actually, someone mentioned in the Facebook group, they said, I've been uh, told about red clover, but I can't find, and this is true. You can't find an explanation of why it is that it might work. What is the, what are the applications of red clover? Why do they think it's quite good for menopause well, symptoms? It, well, it's, it's got, it's got, a, it contains a plant-based sort of estrogenic sterol, which is like an estrogenic compound, which has very gentle, mild estrogenic effects. Wow. So it, it's, it's not, it doesn't increase the blood level of estrogen, but it has effects which probably help with estrogen in the cells. So it seems to help with sleep and um, hot sweats, night sweats, particularly. But again, it, there are some data to, to show it, it when it's used, it, it has a significant improvement. In my patients, some will find it, say it's really good, and some will say it didn't do anything. Um, so it's a bit of an individual thing, really, I guess. So, um, but no, it, I, I, I often recommend it, especially to women who's. And, uh, but I've got quite a lot of symptoms. So we'll start with lifestyle. We'll start with lifestyle and then um, sometimes, you know, try some of the supplements like red clover. Sorry, I lost you there where you said I sometimes prescribe it to women who. And then we lost you for a second. Who, who, do, who I, I sometimes prescribe um, red clover to women who will say to me, you know, I, I don't want to take any hormone treatment at the moment. I just want to try and do things as naturally as possible. And red clover is a very natural plant-based supplement that you can take. So, you know, I'll use it with, I'll give, I'll provide lifestyle approaches and then, um, you know, add in the my, my, my the A to Z supplement and, and some red clover yeah what if someone's listening to this and they're thinking right so based on listening to this conversation I realize now that I have been struggling with symptoms for years is it too late for me to go to my doctor is that too late for that person someone in the Facebook group actually said um I've it's been eight years since my last period and I've never taken HRT but maybe I should is it if, if they go to a doctor will they say like asking okay, so for pain relief when you're crowning. <laughs> so it depends on your age. So if you, if your last period was eight years ago when you were 45, so you're only 53, then, um, you know, absolutely. If, you, if you're struggling with symptoms and your life is busy and challenging, then you should consider it. The problem with HRT, the, the further away from your natural menopause is, and it, this is a bit more complicated and it's scientifically based, but estrogen has different effects on the lining of our blood vessels, depending on our age and depending on whether or not we have existing damage to our blood vessels. And as we get older, our blood vessels just get furred up, just naturally, it's a natural part of aging, but it, it accelerates after menopause when estrogen drops. So, in women under the age of 60, if they're started on HRT, you know, within a couple of years, up to six years, I think it is, um, from their last period, it, it should protect the heart and blood vessels and help with symptoms. If you start on HRT after the age of 60, and if you've had your menopause several years before, 
the data suggests that can actually accelerate heart disease and that's the group that can have the problem so that's part of the group that we found 20 years ago in the studies that I was talking about at the beginning um, that showed some women were coming to real harm from HRT and that is partly because of the um you know the, the, the this it, we call it a u-shaped curve it's a dichotomous effect of of, of estrogen on with the endothelium which is the the blood vessel lining depending on whether you're young or whether your blood vessels are older so yeah it kind of depends on a number of things it's certainly worth uh, discussing with your gp and and in fairness i will start if if a woman that I see is really suffering and she's in her early 60s and she hasn't had HRT, we discuss the pros and cons and risks and benefits. And I will talk about, you know, if there's any cardiovascular risk. And of course, if you're, if you have no other cardiovascular risk at all, then the benefits may well outweigh the risks. And starting HRT for a trial for six months is not going to do any harm at all. And you, you'll then vote with your feet. You'll go, wow, this has changed my life. I'm not stopping it. I don't care. Or you'll go, it didn't really do anything. So if I'm increasing my risk, there's no point. So I think a trial is not enough women are given those trials. More women should be given those trials if they're suffering with symptoms. I thought another really interesting thing sort of related to that within the group was about, and I can relate to this. I used to be prescribed the pill for my hormones and I decided a few years ago to come off that. But uh, there was a woman in the Facebook group who said that she's in her fifties and she takes a, 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 a type of the pill of the pill because of other health issues. Uh, to do with um, heart disease and dementia. And so she said, so she's asking about her GP won't entertain the idea of HRT, but if someone's already using a pill for some sort of health management, can they transfer to HRT? Yeah, definitely. I mean, to be honest, HR, uh, so the combined contraceptive pill with estrogen and progesterone shouldn't be used in women, you know, you know, from 50. I mean, I don't use it in, in women over 40, to be honest, because the blood clot risk can be higher. Right. So I don't know what, but it may be a progesterone only pill that, that she's been given because that is deemed to be safe in terms of blood clot, safer compared with combined pills. So she may be on a progesterone only pill. Um, so I, I don't know if you said her age, obviously it depends on the individual circumstances, but depending on her age and what what the underlying health issues are that she's she's treated for it seems a bit illogical to be on a pill um a a contraceptive dose pill because that's a high dose medication and hrt is much lower doses and can be given very oh yeah hrt is much lower dose than the pill and the pill is always synthetic hormones it's very synthetic whereas many of the modern pill preparations are natural and they're licensed, but they're bio-identical or body-identical to what our bodies produce. And uh, I would have thought that would be much safer longer term uh, in terms of, and if, if this, she says, dement, you said dementia risk. And, Shall and I be, I'll, I'll be specific because you've addressed it. Hmm. So she says she's just at 50 and she needs to transfer oh. from combined to mini pill, but she's worried about losing the estrogen as she has a family history of heart disease and dementia. And my GP won't entertain the idea of HRT estrogen replacement. HRT slash estrogen replacement for at least six months. Um, pretty downhearted about the potential side effects of the mini pill, if I'm honest. Is there anything I can do? And then, yeah. Sorry. Karen. So she's, so she's, so if she needs contraception, we normally say, if we're not sure whether or not you're in menopause, you probably need to take contraception of some description 
through to the age of 55. Mm. So the GP is obviously wanting to start the progesterone only pill and see what, what happens. But then that will, she won't get any periods on that. You won't know. She won't know where she is. They could do blood tests. Um, but yeah, I've seen problems coming off the pill because she will her estrogen may well absolutely crash down. Um, so there's different options for that. You could have a marina coil put in for the contraception and then take skin patch or skin gel or skin spray estrogen, which is very safe, very safe. There is no reason a 50 year old woman couldn't take skin patch or skin gel estrogen. She just, if there's risk factors, she may not be able to take tablet estrogen. The, uh, you mentioned the marina coil then, that is probably the thing that I get asked about the most whenever I do a show on hormones. It seems yeah. that a lot of people have it. So I'm just literally going to scan through the questions because a lot of people talked, uh, asked about this in particular. It does seem to be something that's prescribed. Is it prescribed the right Sorry. word? Sorry. It's all right. I missed. Oh, um, it's uh, a lot of women in the group who've submitted questions have talked about having the Marina Coil. I now can't find uh, any of those particular questions for some reason but um it does seem to be something that a lot of women are, are given the marina coil and does that have any implications on how they might experience the menopause or what their next step might be yeah so well i really like it as as a treatment for heavy periods in women in their perhaps in their 40s who are saying you know i've got heavy periods and a lot of their symptoms might be due to the heavy periods and maybe even anemia rather than any perimenopause change. of life get heavy periods. Now, if you have a marina coil, you take away the periods altogether. But that's the idea anyway, or they become very light. And th that what the marina coil does is it protects the, the womb lining from the effects of estrogen because estrogen will stimulate the womb lining. So if you've got a womb, and you have marina coil, your womb lining is protected. So you can then just take estrogen on its own systemically, either through the skin or as a tablet. And it's just a, a much safer way of taking HRT through skin patch, skin gel or spray um, estrogen. It relieves any symptoms of menopause. You can actually start those as soon as your symptoms occur. You don't have to get a blood test to prove you're low on estrogen. It's very safe. You can titrate it to symptoms. So the marina coil is twofold. It, it can address heavy periods and it, it's a contraceptive. So in your 40s, that's handy for, for many women. And then um, if you need HRT, you can go on a very safe preparation of estrogen. And really, there's, you know, certainly under natural menopause age, there is no risk. And, and, this, the data are really very favourable on longer term risk with with transdermal oestrogen and peri and the marina coil. Um, the, it, family planning clinics will usually allow you to have it till you're 55. I've got patients who've got marina coil who who are much who just keep having it put back in because they want to continue the same regimen who are older, who are in their 60s. Uh, but it does vary from yeah. from area to area. But yeah, I, I it, it doesn't it's not it shouldn't really be absorbed beyond your uterus. It, it's not, it's not, the marina isn't going into your body and giving you any HRT, but it takes away the structural physical symptoms of periods, which is really nice if you're getting to that stage where your periods are flooding and, and unpredictable in that perimenopause or that run up to perimenopause. So I like it. Quite a few people in the group also have asked about HRT post breast cancer 
Um, it seems to be that in all of the instances, and I'm trying to scan quite a lot and I don't have enough screen mm. to also have you open, but it does seem to be that in many cases, doctors aren't happy about prescribing HRT to people who have had breast cancer or a cancer. Is that a risk? Yeah, so um, with breast cancer, most breast cancers are estrogen driven. So if you have breast cancer and you have your treatment, you may be in remission. But the problem with breast cancer is that it's unlike many other cancers in that the estrogen cancer cells can sit dormant for years. So you can get that cancer back 5, 10, 15, 20 years later, which is very unusual compared with any other cancer. Mm. So which is why uh, myself included, many women are given treatment with uh, tamoxifen, which is an estrogen receptor blocker for 10 years plus after their breast cancer, even if it's early stage. So generally breast surgeons and oncologists don't like the idea of giving estrogen, if possible, in women who've had treatment for breast cancer, because there have been a number of studies that have suggested in that group, and there are there are data on that, and the British Menopause Society have reviewed that recently, that then they are more likely in the longer they're small studies but even though they're small studies it's that they're showing that it's significantly more you're more likely to get a recurrence and if you get a a recurrence that means it's like a it's a secondary it's a stage four so if you get a recurrence it's then incurable so it, it's it's more risky to take hrt if you have had breast cancer um it's that's not to say that no women who've had breast cancer can ever be given estrogen or HRT. We often give estrogen via pessaries for vaginal symptoms and, you know, we call it urogenital symptoms um, related to menopause in women who have been treated for breast cancer, because that's actually looks as if it's pretty safe for all, all, all up to five years, certainly we've seen. So that can, and those symptoms can be quite problematic in women who've had breast cancer. So addressing those, that's a safe way to give it. That's not um, going through your whole body. It's just going into your vagina. Mm. And then um, I have patients and I think most of my specialist colleagues have patients who we've gone through every other alternative that uh, we could give for the symptoms that the woman is suffering from. And 90% plus of patients I see who say, I'm really struggling with menopause. I've had breast cancer. I'm really struggling. We'll go through treatments and we'll get a treatment that doesn't include HRT that works and they're fine. Right. And there is a very small proportion and nothing works. And in that situation, we will consider giving HRT. But we always say it should be a multidisciplinary decision. It shouldn't be just every GP saying, oh, you've had breast cancer. Yeah, I'll just give you estrogen. Right. That's flippant. That's dangerous. That is going to increase the number of women with secondary breast cancer 10 years down the line. So that is a risk. But if you are being managed in your multidisciplinary team, so that's the breast surgeons and the hormone specialists and the, and the oncologists and the nurses, then if they've made sure that they've done everything possible and your quality of life is being massively affected, then they will give you a trial and monitor you very closely. So it can be done, but it, it's not a flippant decision and mm. it shouldn't be. Um, and it, it should be by people who are really experienced in that area and know what the risks are, because every woman is different. I mean, some women may have a lower risk of recurrence, but the problem with this type of breast cancer, estrogen breast cancer, is that it does come back late. So you might be on it. You might be on treatment for two, three, four, five years and think, well, you see, I was fine. And then seven years later, you get a secondary. So that's what, 
you know, we, we always want to try and minimize the chance of that happening. Okay, um, but, but, but there are options for somebody who has had a cancer or breast cancer to yes. manage menopause, menopausal symptoms. Well, some so some gynecological cancers, women are, are initially told you can't have HRT because you've had this particular type of cancer. And actually, if they question their specialist, it should be their specialist they're questioning. Can I really not have HRT? Often they can have it. And, I, you know, I deal with many women um, in my practice who are referred to me from oncologists and they go, you know, this woman's had this type, type of cancer. Can she have HRT? And for, for other types of cancer, often you can have HRT even endocrine related cancers, but it's just breast cancer is the sort of out, it's the exception really, because it, it can right. come back so late. Um, and can other things be done? Absolutely. I'm an example of that. I've never taken HRT. So, and I use my lifestyle toolkit, but there's, there's medications that can be given. There's quite a number of different medications. There are antidepressants that have been shown to help with sweats and mood and sleep, but it's not just antidepressants. And, you know, as I said to you earlier, I don't want every woman to be offered, under, but mm. in some situations it can be helpful if you've just had a cancer diagnosis and you're suffering from menopause symptoms. But there's other non-antidepressant, um, non-hormone medications that we can give that can help depending on what that woman's symptoms are. So if it, you know, if it's insomnia, the treatment might be different from if it's low mood, from if it's hot sweats. Right. And, and I've got a whole load of different medications up my sleeve that I help women with and I think I was saying to you before as well that um, I'm working with one of um, our regional breast cancer services to try and see if we can set up better um, menopause management done very well and it's not something a GP can do GPs should be able to see women who are otherwise healthy in inverted commas who are suffering from symptoms and be able to offer them the lifestyle advice and the HRT but 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 breast cancer survivors are a unique cohort who should be given specialist management for that and it's not really available at the moment widely it is in some areas so I'd like to see that change and then the other thing that's come out of the group, sort of one of the trends is people talking about how they are putting on lots of weight and nothing that they are doing is helping. No diet, no exercise is making a dent in it. Is that is that something that women might experience? Is this for the breast cancer group or is this No, no, this is, just, this is just yeah. a separate uh, a yeah. thing of people just saying, I'm putting on loads of weight and one woman saying it's so depressing because I'm working out loads and I'm dieting and I just have put on weight and can't shift it so it is it's it's again it's a bit of a narrative answer and I do cover this in my weight management chapter in the book but metabolism goes down but if you're under stress whether it be just life stress or whether it's because you're basically overtraining. so a lot of women will go if I do loads of exercise I'll lose weight so they train and train and train and train and they're putting their body under so much stress that, that their body senses this is dangerous cling on to the calories so if you overtrain, you end up you know less able to lose weight and, and women will come to me and they'll have my fitness pal and they'll go look I'm burning 5,000 calories and I'm eating 2,000 and I'm gaining weight how can that be and I say well the my fitness pal isn't taking account of your metabolism and your yeah. stress response and your insulin levels because our bodies can be very effective at protecting us from starvation and it's not fit for purpose in our modern world but when you're in menopause your body senses that you're vulnerable to starvation 
but when calories are plentiful we can clamp down our metabolism and by magic not lose weight when we should be losing so it's quite difficult and overtraining is a problem i often have to say do lower impact don't do the higher impact um and you know you, you can sometimes be more hungry so you can be eating healthily but you can be more hungry and perhaps yeah. even eat more calories if you're if you're really doing a lot of training and other stress if you can do stress management techniques it just calms your stress levels down and you know if you ever see anyone who's really in a happy phase of their life they're just in a relationship and you know and they say oh I'm going to lose some weight and they just lose it and it, it's easy and then other people who are doing everything possible and can't lose it and stress again I talk about stress yeah. a lot but stress is a factor there well there's and a brilliant you're not stressed yeah there's a brilliant chapter in the book all about stress now I know I've taken up a ton of your time so I do have to let you go but this has been so helpful and genuinely I really appreciate the tone of this doesn't have to be the end of anything this can actually this can actually be the beginning of something quite exciting I really love that you bring that tone to going through the menopause even though it has its challenges the mm. fact that um you're talking about your patients and you're talking about you as well just saying life on the other side or life in it and through it is is good so don't think of it as being something bad or negative absolutely absolutely and and you know I I feel it myself but I do see it with my patients and that you can look at my reviews and what my patients say they say you know my life is so much better now and it's it's so good and that's how it should be we, we should all be doing everything we can to live our best lives so that's what we want to do well thank you so much listeners obviously the links to the book and to Anise and to her social media and everything will be in the show notes but it's been such a pleasure thank you so much for joining me thank you so much for having me I've really enjoyed it thank you Thank you so much for listening. I do hope you enjoyed that conversation with Anise and me. If you would like to get in touch with me, email me at thebeautypodcast at gmail.com. I hope I don't have to tell you how much I love hearing from you, but I do. If you fancy a less formal form of communication, then just DM me on Instagram and Twitter where I'm at Emma Guns. Or if you want to chat to me and thousands of your fellow listeners, then click the link in the show notes, which can be found wherever it is that you are streaming and downloading this episode and join the Facebook group. You have to answer a question, agree to the forum rules, and then you can come in and chat about Keanu Reeves, hormones, diet, exercise, beauty products, whatever it is, that, whatever question you might have, trust me, there are thousands of people in there with some really useful insights and we would love to see you there. Thank you so much for listening. I'll see you on the next one. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.